0: What's going on everyone? Welcome back to the Cinephile Diaries, the show where every week we go through my Letterboxd diaries and we talk about a little we talk about a few movies that you should see, a few movies you shouldn't see, a few movies everyone has seen, a few movies no one has seen. This is episode 22. Um, yeah, we got a great show for you today. We got a long show for you today. I set a record for the year this week. I got through 10 movies and managed to get in a car wreck and quit my job. Um, Oh my god, it was a week. Um, But yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the movies. Let's go ahead and jump in. Not even going to do a round of this week. I have ten movies to talk about. Let's just just jump into it. So, I started the week off. This was kind of a week of double features. I would watch two films in one day, and then... Um, and the first, the first double feature that I did was I watched Pearl and then I watched X. Um, Pearl is a prequel to X. I had seen X before, but I for some reason like X was one of my favorite horror movies of last year, and then for some reason I just missed Pearl completely. Um, but I really, really loved it. Mia Goth, like the like the big thing to talk about, is Mia Goth. Mia Goth is just utterly incredible in Pearl. Um, she's Brilliant! She has, like, there's a big monologue towards the end that's incredible. She holds, like, a certain facial expression at one point for, like, ten minutes. And it's just, like, it's such a wonderful performance. It's such a fun performance to watch. Um, also, I don't know that it would have been that uh, interesting a year ago. But now, uh, the actor who plays the projectionist, David Cornsweet, looks like he might be our Superman. Um, looks like he might be James Gunn's Superman, which is really interesting, and I can totally see it. Like, like you can see it from pictures, but what, now that I've also heard his voice, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a Superman. I, like, I can absolutely see him as Superman. I, so so if, if he does, in fact, become our Superman... I think that's going to be really, really fascinating and really, really cool to watch. Um, also, uh, the the entire shortlist is really good for Superman. The entire shortlist is great. And the shortlist for Lois Lane is also really great. So I I, I, I don't think we can lose um, in terms of casting for that movie. I mean, who knows if the movie will be good. But all of the cast, all of the shortlists look really good. So I think the cast is going to be great. Anyway, Pearl. Um, I thought this movie was really good. I thought I thought the the music, the score, Tyler Bates' score was wonderful. That was like one of the first things I noticed because it it opens with Pearl dancing, and the way like that scene is great. Um, I thought it was a really really interesting. I thought like the family was really really interesting. Pearl's family, her mom and dad, and their kind of really tumultuous relationship was really interesting um I love the color of this movie I love like I love looking at this movie it's 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 obviously plant like if X is a 70s slasher this is like a 40s or 50s um movie and it's Wizard of Oz um and it's it's really really good it's bathed in gorgeous colors great performances um I will say that um, my one note and I, and it was always gonna be a note. Like I could tell it was gonna be a note before I ever watched the movie, is I wish Howard, I wish Howard was in it. I wish Howard was actually in it. Like it makes sense that that Howard's not in it because like the story they're trying to tell is um, the kind of origins of Pearl and she, if if Howard is around, howard knows how to like i don't know handle her he know he knows how to like rein her in you see you see that a lot in x he knows how to like take care of her and while also still please taking like taking care of her in certain ways not like that although kind of like that (laughs) um but like he was one of the he like his relationship with her and his devotion to her was one of the more interesting parts of X to me and i would have liked to see more of that like he's but he's not in the movie really at all he's in the last like 5 minutes um and it, but his presence is felt and his like sister is in it and i thought that was nice um but i i just wished that he was in the film and like we got to see the origins of his devotion to her Um, but that's not really what Ty West is doing. Ty West is telling a story about, um, women. Ty West West is kind of inherently telling a story about women with this trilogy. So, like, I I understand why, uh, Howard's not really in the film. I I just would have liked... Give me like a dirty dozen spin-off of X about Howard, please. that would be great. <laughs> that's yeah. so I thought Pearl was really good. I, we're gonna talk about it we're gonna talk about it in the next section, but I don't think it's as good as X. and I think I think kind of inherently that's just a tonal thing. I prefer the kind of dirty 70s slasher um and I just love the ensemble cast. This is much more of a character study on one person. But I, I love the kind of banter of the ensemble cast and the, their, their relationship to each other. I, I prefer that in X. Um, I think I gave them both four and a half stars, though. Like, they're both good. I should be on the screen. Um, they're both good. They're both very good. Um, but yeah, I, I think I prefer X slightly. Um, but yeah, that's my take on Pearl. Let's go ahead and jump in and actually talk about X. Movie number two is X. The 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 first movie, the first release movie in the Maxine trilogy, or whatever Ty West is calling this trilogy. Um, but it, it it's set like 60 years after Pearl, and it takes takes place in the 70s, and it's about a group of adult filmmakers, adult filmmakers, who go to a farm in Texas to shoot an adult film. And the farm is owned by Pearl and Howard. And I absolutely adore this movie. I love this movie a lot. Like, cause cause it's such a it's funny. I forgot how funny this movie was. There's some really, really great jokes in there. Obviously I'm not gonna talk about it too much, but it's got this is the movie that like she has said herself. This is a movie that really signified Jen Ortega's. Skyra this and Scream really signified the the launch of Jenna Ortega from Disney Channel Film Star to Scream Queen. Um and she's awesome in this movie. She's great in this movie. Um she has her the the way she dot her the uh, spoilers. Her kill is hilarious to be like actually hilarious to me. Um yeah, and once again, uh Mia Goth in a dual role this time is absolutely brilliant. I love the performance she gives as Pearl here cuz cuz I didn't know it was her. I didn't know it was her to like last to like a couple weeks ago. I didn't realize I didn't realize that Pearl was actually Mia. And she's great in the role and I like I I just think Pearl's just a really really great character. And the way – because I didn't really talk about it. But a part of the tragedy of Pearl is she does all of these things with all of these dreams. She has all of these dreams, and she's convinced that she's going to get there even when she has this setback at the end of the movie. She's convinced that she is going to make her dreams come true. But you as the audience know that she never did. She never does. Like she ends up on a farm in Texas, old and unwanted feels unwanted um and yeah yeah like that that it's brilliant it's it's incredible um and like, like i said i I like this movie more than pearl because i love the ensemble cast i love scott scott miscuti uh kid cuddy kid cuddy's great kid cuddy is great um general ortega is obviously great mia goth is great the guy who plays the guy uh walmart matthew mcconaughey <laughs> the guy the guy who plays the producer is great the guy who plays the director is great the, di- the guy who plays the director reminds me a little bit too much of myself <laughs> he's like i'm gonna make a real film i'm gonna make a real f-. i it reminds me too much of myself um yeah but he's he's great in the movie um i, th- I think the the one weird scene in this movie the one where is the landslide scene the the scene where the, there's like a it stops to do this like music video where Kid Cudi is playing the guitar and the other girl is like singing "Landslide" by Fleetwood Mac, and it's just it's just a really weird scene, but it like it's not bad. It's it's just a really really weird scene. It's placed really really weird, and I feel like tonally it messes with the movie a little bit. Um, but then immediately following that, like that's when the kills start because the the movie. Like, the first 45 minutes of the movie is all tension, and all, um, it's all character development, and kind of, You I, I don't even know if you know it then, but now that I've seen both of them, it's developing the relationship between Pearl and Maxine. It's developing Pearl's kind of obsession with Maxine, because Maxine kind of has the X-factor, um... And Pearl didn't. So it dev- it's the first like forty five minutes of the movie is developing that, and then the kill start. and then the kill start because Maxine just or not Maxine Pearl just decides she be d- decides, you know, wants to feel wanted and gets rejected, and then starts killing people, and it's awesome. Um, her favorite her favorite thing is the the pitchfork. It's great. It's great. Um, I, I like the pitchfork coming back in in pearl. It's great. Um, yeah, this is a really real. I love X so much because it, it's such a fascinating story about age and the <coughs> the way we as a society kind of treat the older generation in a um I don't know. Not sexual, but like a physical kind of in terms of beauty and the way, you know, the way we kind of try to put the older generation in this box of not, not like this, this like asexual box of not wanting, of not need, of not having needs, of not needing to feel wanted. Um, And I think it's a really, really fascinating look at that. Even like before you get Pearl, and you see the tragedy of the dreams that Pearl never gets to live. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting examination of how we as a society treat the physical and romantic needs of the elderly. Um, and like, like I don't, I don't, I haven't interviewed old people to to ask. Like, so I don't know if the movie's successful at that but it raises a really interesting question whether that question is accurate or not i think it raises a really really interesting question of um of like the role old people should be allowed to play in the like what that life is i don't know what i'm trying to say but the but what that life is what what aging whether like it's almost like you stop being a person, you just become an old person. You stop being a human who needs love and affection and um, all of those things. You stop being that. You, you, we as a society kind of ask people to stop being that. So I, I think that's really, really fascinating and really, really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I really, really love this movie. Um and like I always, I'm, I'm always gonna. I, there's a thing that happened when I watched it. Like I got, I got a text right, right when I watched it. So I'm always gonna have a special place in my heart for this movie because it was, it was what I was doing when a certain thing happened that I'm not gonna talk about. But, um, yeah, I, I, really, really love this movie. I really, really love this movie. It's great. The kills are great. It's funny. Um, and then it has like this really, really interesting depth to it that's really, really cool. Um. Yeah, one of my favorite horror movies of the decade so far. It's awesome. Go check it out. Go check out both of them. They're both incredible. They're both great, and I cannot wait for Maxine this year, next year. Whenever whenever we get Maxine, I cannot wait for it. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, that's my take on X. Let's jump into the next, I believe we're jumping into the next double feature that I did, which is a hell of a lot weirder. <laughs> Okay, so the third movie that I watched this week um, is—I don't even know where to start. It's—it's—it's freaking—it's Velocipaster. I watched Velocipaster. I was like, I was at—I was at 599 films logged on Letterboxd, which doesn't really mean anything because like I'm still retroactively going back and logging movies I saw before I started using Letterboxd. So the the 600 doesn't really mean anything, but. I was at 599 films on Letterbox needed a good one for my 600, and so I was I asked on Instagram, "Hey y'all, give me give me a uh, give me a give me a recommendation for my 600 film on Letterbox," and somebody recommended Velocipaster just because it's like it's like, you know, why, why not watch Velocipaster? <laughs> and so I did. I watched it, and it's one of the worst movies of all time. But but like also not, like, it's also, like, 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 I think this movie knows what it, this movie has to know, there's no way this movie doesn't know what it is, there's no way this movie isn't trying to be a comedy that's, that's, that's a satire, um, and I think it, that it's actually really effective and really funny, um, it's all, there's also just a really, really dumb, funny lines, why did they call me, Frank? why, do, and why do they call me Frankie Mermaid? Because you're swimming in bitches, like, like, <laughs> like the fact that that's online in this movie is hilarious. The fa- like, like, it's weird because you know exactly what this movie is after about five minutes. Like, it opens on this shot of Doug. His name is Doug. I'm pretty sure his name is Doug. Doug Jones. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the lost pastor's name is Doug Jones. Um, but it opens on this shot on J- Doug giving like a some kind of I'm, i don't know i'm not catholic he he's giving some kind of you know sermon um and the shots like uh, this slow dolly in and the lighting is actually not bad i was like oh is this movie actually good and then he steps outside and it's like this shaky cam looks like it's shot on an iphone and then and then his parents are like over here and his parents are over here and he waves at them and then their car blows up and they die, but the car doesn't blow up. Like there's not fire. There's an empty street with the words "VFX car on fire" on screen. Like like that. That's that's in the final cut of the movie. That's in the released cut of the movie. This movie has to know what it is. This movie like there's if this movie doesn't know what it is, it's 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 developed by people with no brain. It's like like. It's developed by people who've had a lobotomy if this movie doesn't know what it is. But I think this movie does know what it is. And I think because this movie knows what it is, it's actually really, really funny. Um and honestly, like if they gave this the the one thing that genuinely doesn't work, and I don't know that there's a way the 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 thing that genuinely doesn't work that I just didn't even wanna look at is the actual Veloci Pastor. When he's actually in dinosaur mode and it's just the dinosaur costume that you buy at like Walmart, and he's like punching and kicking people. That's like not good, obviously. Like that's that's bad. And the like the action is not good. Right after right after the explosion happens, he goes to China to like find his faith, and it's very obviously just uh, some woods in upstate New York. But he's like wandering through, and then he steps into frame, and he's like China. It's so dumb. It's so bad. Every line in this movie made me laugh my ass off. Um like it's it's so bad, but so good at the same time. <laughs> and then like the, the the his his friend, the the, uh, the his mentor, the other priest who's who's played by the director they go off for like twenty minutes, just following him, and they go to like a non-Catholic exorcist because you know the guy who's by the guy who's by the who's literally mad that Doug is not going by the book decides to not go by the book to get the exorcist done. It's so bad, <laughs> and then and then the movie does this like ten minute long flashback with Stuart, with with his mentor, but it's just Stuart who's, like, this 60-year-old man in a really, really bad blonde wig and with, like, a, a helmet on. Like, an army... Because it flashes back to, like, Vietnam. And, like, an army helmet on. It's... It, like, this movie's a night... This movie's, like, a bad dream or a good dream. I don't know. But... And it's it's not good. But it knows exactly what it is. It This movie knows exactly what it is. And it's so funny. The fact that the plot of the movie is... The church teams up – the Catholic church teams up with a Chinese warlord to sell cocaine so that they can get people addicted to cocaine so that those people will have to come to rehab at church. (laughs) This is not not even a movie you can talk about because it's awful, but it's also one of the best things I've ever seen. Like, like I, it's the, the rating is on screen. There is no rating. I just said I liked it because I, I would watch this movie 15 more times. I don't care. But it's also one of the worst movies of all time. One of the worst movies ever made. The performances are bad. The script is bad. But also the script is kind of genius. Why did they call you Frankie? I've, I've made the joke already once before. Why did they call you Frankie Mermaid? Cause you're swimming in bitches, bro, bro. <laughs> Like it's so bad. It's such a bad movie, but it's so good. It's so funny. It's it's so outrageously funny. Um Yeah, it's it's miserable. It's awful. Like please go watch it. It's it's one of those movies that's like a one. Like a, like it's 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 a horrible film, but in terms of entertainment, it's like a 9. Like it's 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 seventy five minutes, it gets in, it gets out, and that's the plot. It's great. Go watch it. Um yeah, that's my take on the Velocifaster. Let's jump let's let's jump across the spectrum to a very, very different type of movie. Um, but also kind of similar in a weird way. This is I'm so excited. I might talk on this next one for like half an hour. We'll see. Let's jump into it. Movie number four for the week. This will probably be the longest segment on the show. Um, I have... It's Bo is Afraid. It's Bo is Afraid. It's Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. For context, um, Hereditary is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Hereditary... Genuinely, there's a moment about 45 minutes into the movie. All I'm going to say is telephone pole. Um, I don't think I breathed for like... 8 hours. I don't think I breathed till, like the next day after the telephone pole sequence. Um genuinely, and it's not even the telephone pole sequence, it's everything that happens after that. It's the it's the way the the, the kid, it's the way the character drives home and the way it holds on Tony Collette's character figure finding out what happened and the way the whole thing kind of spins and the way her grief is explored and even just thinking about it like last week it's the way her grief is taken advantage of that and like there's a little bit of that in Midsommar too but it's the way her grief is taken advantage of that makes that movie so impactful to me um and for reference I think Midsummer is better I think Midsummer is it's like a top 15 favorite movie of all time. It's like that Midsommar is like a it's the it's the frog in a boiling pot thing. Where like you can you put a frog in a boiling in a pot of water and you just slowly turn up the tension. That's how you boil a frog. It's like that that you totally you slowly turn up the heat. That's what Midsommar is to me. Like cuz it's a movie that didn't scare me when I first watched it, but that kind of became the beauty of it. That kind of became the thing that scared me once again. Eight, ten, twelve 10 12 hours later was oh i wow 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 midsummer is not scary and that's what's scariest about it i midsummer is a brilliant film once again about grief um so as for bo is afraid it would not be aria like a, like this is the longest i've gone on an Ariaster where i don't Still don't really know what I think about it. Like, I still don't really know. I don't know if I like this movie or not. The, the, there's a rating on screen. I think it's four and a half. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea if that's accurate. There's part of, there's part of me that thinks this is the best movie of the year, and there's part of me that thinks it's the worst movie of the year. Bo's Afraid is a friggin' trip. It's three hours. Um, and it's it's a 3 hour odd uh, it's a it's lord of the rings for people with anxiety. <laughs> it is a 3 hour odyssey about a guy who's extremely afraid of everything and I think I loved it. I think I kind of loved it. Um I I, I think it's probably my least favorite. I th- I think once again like that 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 even saying that just it It kind of reminds me of White Noise, which I talked about in the very first episode of this podcast that is apparently wildly underrated. No one has seen it. No one's talking about it. Um, White Noise is another movie that I think is kind of a masterpiece. But I think White Noise completely defies everything you think a good movie is. It completely defies good, bad. It's, it's, It's such a different work of art. It's such a different thing compared to every other movie ever made, or most movies ever made, that that it that it, it, it exists in its own space, and that's what I think is so good about it and so awesome about it. I think I think Beau's afraid is kind of like that. Cause I could maybe argue that like the movie kind of throws you in the deep end too much. There there's never like a status quo. The status quo is Naked birthday boy stab man, who's a guy who's naked who runs around stabbing people. That's the status quo of this movie. That's the world we're introduced to in this movie. And then the journey goes on for another three hours. Like, it's it, this movie so defies general film convention that it's like, it's not a film you can talk about qualitatively, almost. It's almost not a film you can talk about qualitatively. Um, so I'm going to live up to the name of this channel and just do a, just, just reflect on it. Um, I think to some extent, and this is going to be full spoilers. I think to some extent this is cause it's, 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 it's similar to like Babylon, which is Shazelle. It's, it's, I think Ari is doing something similar to what. Damien Damien Chazelle was doing in Babylon, which is looking back at the career he had had and exploring all of his regrets and exploring all of that and looking back on the journey. I think this does that even more uh, kind of on-the-nosedly, like uh, like even more clearly, where you start with the status quo and then Bo gets a goal, gets a place he needs to get, and the first stop on that journey is this family um it's it's two women and a girl oh wow yeah okay so the first stop on that journey is is this family very much very similar to hereditary and a lot of people think that ariaster's kind of point of view character in hereditary is the son. I think his name is Spencer. I may be completely wrong about that. It's been it's been like 8 months. Um but it is Spencer. So the fact that there's not a brother in this family until Bo shows up and kind of gets adopted is fascinating. Um And I I think the way I think the way I think I think it's it's one of those things where it's exploring where where Ari was kind of finding belonging in these stories in Hereditary, as after he leaves his family, he goes to like a theater troupe in the woods that that gave me cult vibes at first, very much similar to Midsummer. Mids- Midsummer. Um, so it's 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 a thing where I feel like Ari was looking for meaning in Hereditary and then Midsummer as a way to avoid the work that he actually needed to do um so yeah this is a this movie is a 35 million dollar therapy session for one dude and it's it's such a it's such an exploration of like inner thought and the darkest parts of the self that like it's once again it's a movie that defies qualitative conversation it's it's a movie you can't talk about you like you I almost don't feel like I can't even talk about whether or not I think this movie is good or not um it's a it, but it it's a film that um is so but but it's a film that feels so important because it's something we don't see much of today I'm gonna talk about a movie in God knows how long it's it's but I'm gonna talk about a movie today that just that felt very Corporate and unauthored. Bo is Afraid is the exact opposite of corporate and unauthored. This is a movie that is one man who's been given an incredible amount of privilege reflecting on the journey that got him there. Um, It is a $35 million therapy session that I haven't checked the box office, but I'm pretty sure he made, like... A24 is not seeing a cent in profit from this movie because... It is so out. Th- it's so beyond out there. It's so beyond anything. It's so beyond anything because it, it basically takes Ari's life and applies it to the Odyssey. Um, it, like it, it tells you, yeah, and I it's a film about like the past and about the things that mold us and the way the past shapes your fu- your present. And then there's aspects of it that feel about the future, but it distinctly settles on confronting the past and confronting regret and guilt and anxiety um'cause yeah, like like I was listening to an interview while I was eating lunch earlier. um it's a film. It's about two. It's a film. Ari Aster said it's a film about two things. Guilt, or he didn't say it's a film about two things, but he said it is about these two things. Um, Not exclusively, but it's a film about these two things. It's a film about guilt and regret. Regret is past tense. Regret is all of the things we did. Regret is all of the things that got us to where we are, that in some ways made us who we are. Um, Not guilt and regret. Guilt and anxiety. Guilt and. God dang it guilt is inherently past tense guilt is past tense guilt is all the things that made us who we are anxiety is the thing that will drive us forward anxiety is like or the thing that will stop us from driving forward and that's what the film is. but but all of that anxiety comes from the regret so the film is about examining that regret to defeat the anxiety and i think it's kind of brilliant it's also really funny It's a movie that's really, there's, there's, in, in, in wild and audacious ways, there are things in this movie that made me laugh my ass off, um, specifically one scene that is such a, oh my god, what just happened, is such, such such a holy shit moment, that like, I, I, I was terrified, and I was laughing, and yeah. Bo is Afraid is insane. Bo is Afraid is something insane. It's also really special and I love like like one of the mo- I've said this before on the podcast the most important thing in the world to me is a vulnerability and um, the ability to trust and show people who you are and have that trust and have that accepted and you know, all of that. I think What Bo is Afraid is... Is an insane... And I do mean insane... It is an insane exercise in vulnerability. Um, So I I think for me as... And I think that is why... It defies qualitative conversation. It defies talking about it in a qualitative way. Because Ari... Let me or let us... Into a part of himself. He showed us a part of himself so like like is there is the script perfect no probably not um but but it's uh, it's uh, it's so distinctly what it's supposed to be and i i think it's one of the, it's a, it's a movie that it is more important to it's more important to engage with and I don't even know if respect is the right word, but it's more important to engage with it and have almost have a conversation with it. It's more important to do that than to talk about the qualitative um, pros and cons of the film. Um, I I will say just this is not really talking about qualitative, but on a technical level this movie is incredible. The co- I love the way this movie shot, the colors I would like. It's a movie that makes me kind of want an Ari Aster action movie. There's some genuinely fun action moments in it. Um, it's once again, it's hilarious. The visual style on display is incredible. Um, also all the performances are brilliant. I'm not going to say I like, obviously Joaquin Phoenix plays Bo. Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in the film. Um, Genuinely like it's one of my favorite performances I've ever seen from him. He's brilliant. It's insane how brilliant he is in this movie. Also, not gonna say what her role is. Patty Lapone is incredible. Um Parker Posey, incredible. Nathan Lane, incredible. Um I don't I don't remember her name. I think it's Kylie something. But the the girl who plays the daughter in the family is awesome, like genuinely incredible. Um, Bo is Afraid is a movie, and I like. I need to rewatch it. I I will fully admit that I need to rewatch it. Specifically, the ending is like, I don't know how I feel about the ending, mainly because I probably didn't pay enough attention. Um, so it's it's definitely a film I need to rewatch. But, um, it's it's a film that is absolutely worth your time. But then again, like it's kind, of, it's it's a movie that's hard to recommend. If everything I have said if everything i've said about this movie being a very personal kind of therapy if 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 you're down for a 35 million dollar 3-hour therapy session with a dude who has a very strange brain if you're down for that this movie is absolutely worth your time if you're if you're down for the conversation and if you're willing to engage with it i think I think this movie is absolutely worth your time, and I think it's incredibly special. Um, I would say I'm very excited to see what Ari Aster does next, but this movie is such a swing for the fences that I don't know if he'll ever make another movie. Um, But he very clearly is. He's doing something... He's doing another one with Joaquin Phoenix. I think it's a Western. Um, Very curious to see what that is. Um, But yeah, Bo is Afraid is... Insane... But if you're willing to engage with it and actually, like, engage in that conversation with the film, it's absolutely worth your time. It's absolutely worth the three hours. It's absolutely worth all of that. Um, and I, it, it's the one film I have not stopped thinking about. Um, so, yeah, absolutely worth your time. Go check it out. Um, yeah, let's jump into the next little section, because it is like this is a triple feature. This is the next little section is three movies that I watch that are all kind of connected. Um Yeah, that's my take on Bo was Afraid. Let's jump into the next part. Okay, so movie number five. We're roughly halfway through. This incredible record setting week for me. Record setting for this year, not quite last year, but you know. Um we're we're about halfway through. Excuse me. Okay. Movie number five. Uh the Bat or not the Batman. <laughs> Batman Eighty Nine. Batman eighty nine. I was I was, you know, I was I was I was very trepidatiously preparing for the flash, so I wouldn't watch so I watched Batman eighty nine. Um I really, really like this movie. Uh, like, I really, really like Batman 89. I think the first half of it... um, Before Jack Napier becomes the Joker... um, I think it's... I think it's... The best representation of Batman... At, at, at Outside of maybe the Batman. Outside of, like, the first, like, 20 or 30 minutes of the Batman. I think the first 20 or 30 minutes of this movie is the best, represent- best on-screen live-action representation of Batman. And I, I love the way it plays with the origin and the nature of who the character is. Um, Batman is in the opening scene, and then he's not on screen for like 35, th- probably 30 minutes. And it centers around Vicki Vale and, this, and another uh, reporter Researching the case and trying to figure out who he is, um, and then you meet Bruce Wayne. You meet Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne, um, and they kind of like like I, I will say they don't they don't super hide that that character that he's Batman, but they do a little bit. They do just enough. Um, so like that reveal is really interesting. Um, my and Michael Keaton is just a really really he's this is pre. Obviously, this is pre-Batman the animated series, so there's not the split of Batman and Bruce Wayne. He's still kind of like they're they're basically the same. Um, but they're but but I did really like his portrayal of Bruce Wayne and Batman. I but I, and then I really really like the um, the gangster stuff, just the stuff with Jack. is like this enforcer and the kind of interplay that he has with the the other gangsters I really really like that. Also, speaking of authorship, this movie feels oh my god, this movie this movie feels real. <laughs> and it, and it's all miniatures. Like it's not see it's there's not a lot of CGI I don't think, but it's it's all miniatures and it looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. Um and Tim Burton's Gotham is just a delight to look at. It's just an absolute treat to look at. Um, and obviously, like, my my Batman growing up was, was the animated series. This movie sets the tone, like, this movie kind of defined what the animated series was going to be. They're very different, the animated series, like, they're very different, and I think this movie's actually a little bit, I actually, I, like, this movie's not, like, this movie's not my favorite iteration of Batman, outside of the first 30 minutes. Um they're very different, but I did I do really, really love the tone this movie sets and the characterization of all the characters. The thing that I didn't love about this movie was Joker, actually. I, I was actually I was actually a little bit shocked by the fact that I didn't really love Joker in this movie. And I think it comes down to Joker being horny is just not my thing. Because <laughs> um, like in Batman 89, in, in not Batman 89, in the animated series, which is my Batman, which is the Joker that I grew up with, he's this force of, I'm used to Joker, even in like The Dark Knight, I'm used to Joker being this like force of nature um, villain who's just all about chaos. So... The fact that the Joker in this movie has goals, and like one of those goals is he wants to, um, he wants to you know, win the affection of Vicky Vale. Uh, I I, 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 just Joker having goals felt very strange to me. Um, he didn't feel like the agent of chaos. Although I think he literally says, "I'm an agent of chaos." He literally says that, but he didn't feel like an agent of chaos in, in this movie to me. Um, he felt like he very distinctly had a goal, which was get the girl and kill Batman, which is not not the Joker that I'm used to, and maybe that's because we've had, you know, 30 years of Batman comics to define the Joker's characterization, and then the animated series, both, in, like, the Batman also has a really good Joker who's an agent of chaos, who's a force of nature. Um... The Dark Knight is a force of nature, um, an agent of chaos. Uh, We've had all of that time to define who the Joker is, and this version of the Joker didn't really work, didn't really fit that characterization for me. And I just, and, and the kind of the artist part of it didn't really, the characterization just felt weird. The way the art, the fact that he's like, wants to paint felt weird to me. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. This, this version of Joker just seemed out of character for the things that I come to the Joker for. Jack Nicholson is, is an incredible performer. He gave, he gives one of my favorite performances of all time in The Shining. Um, but this, this movie just didn't quite do it for me. Other than that first half, the first, the first like 30 minutes reminded me of like the departed with Batman with the departed with Batman. That, like that I dug, that I really liked. Um, the departed. Um, yeah, that I dug. Um, But yeah, other than that, like this, this movie's really, really good. I just didn't, I just didn't love the characterization of the Joker, but I loved the Batman. I love like this is the, this is all the gadgets. The suit's very rubber, but it has the yellow emblem. I think this might be my fit. I think this might be my favorite Batman suit because it has the emblem. Yeah. Uh. Even though you know he can't, he can't turn his neck. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I really like Batman 89. It's just not my favorite bat. It's just not my favorite iteration of Batman. I think my favorite iteration is Batman. The animated. if you want to talk specifically movies, um, The Batman. I don't know, because I don't love Christian Bale either. Like, those movies are incredible, but I don't love Christian Bale either. So, I guess my top three would probably be Robert Pattinson, Kevin Conroy, Mask of the Phantasm, um, so it's the Batman, Master Phantasm, and then Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne just felt right to me. Just felt like, especially in Batman v Superman, which is not a great movie. Especially the, th- the third act of Batman v Superman is kind of a disaster. But I love the car- and and obviously there's the Batman shooting people with machine guns, which is like I will say for Batman '89. We've been we've been having this discourse for the last like. 10 years over batman killing batman literally blows up a factory full of people in this movie in 80 in batman 89 he literally blows up a factory full of people i'm kind of done with the conversation like like (laughs) okay fine batman kills people i don't care like like so yeah that that's kind of that i guess that's the end of that conversation for me um so so yeah, my top three is Kevin Conroy at number number one, Master the Phantasm. And then probably Ben Affleck and then Robert Pattinson. Um, they're kind of all interchangeable, not really. Kevin Conroy's at number one. Two and three are interchangeable. Um but yeah, that's that that's my take on Batman eighty nine. Let's jump into the sequel, Batman Returns. Um, and then yeah. number six, I think we're at number six. Let's see. Let me count it up. Pearl, X. Pastor, Bo is afraid. Batman 89. Batman Returns. Batman 1992 Batman Returns. The second Michael Keaton Batman movie. The sequel to Batman 89. This movie did not work for me nearly as well as Batman 89 did. Um I still think it's I still think it's good. I still think it's good and I think I think it's it's just much more of a Tim Burton movie than it is a Batman movie. Um, and I think I think you get that like literally from the opening. The opening with uh, the Cobblepots, you know, having the birth of their son and realizing realizing he's this deformed monster, and then throwing him in a basket in this very Moses esque, um, you know, floating him down the river so he ends up with the Penguins. And yeah, uh, from that opening. It be it is very clear this is a Tim Burton movie first and foremost and I think that's fine like I think I think that's fine um I think it just hurts some of the characterization of some of the characters that obviously exist in a larger Canon um, and once like I think I think I think it has a little bit of the same problem that uh, the first one did in that it's just not the characterization specifically for penguin although both of them Penguin and Cowwoman have characterization issues for me. Um, but it's not the characterization of these characters that I'm used to. And maybe that's on me, maybe maybe that's like maybe I'm not maybe I'm being unfair, but the characterization of these two characters is not is not the characterization that I'm used to. Um, and I like that hurt my enjoyment of the film. Um on the upside, uh you got Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken is great as Max Shrek. He's wonderful. Um, I really, really love. I just once again, Michael Keaton as Batman is great. The mirrors on the, the mirrors on the roof. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. So like, I still think it's a good Batman movie, especially with the opening with like the Red Circus Gang or whatever. It's it's still very much like a fun Batman movie. Um, but I I like like specifically when. Selena uh, d- joins up with Penguin and they form their little teammate friendship thing that that's just not the Catwoman that I know. Catwoman like like isn't someone who wants to kill Batman? Like like, like that's just not what I'm used to. That's not that has never been Catwoman to me unless you're talking about uh like Julie Newmar who don't get me wrong, Julie Newmar was one of the first people I ever loved. <laughs> like, I, don't get me wrong, I loved the Julie Newmar Catwoman, but Michelle Pfeiffer is such a perfect casting in that role that I wish it was a little bit more what I, was, what I was used to. She's such a perfect casting for the Catwoman that I love that I wish it was a little bit more, I wish the character was a little bit more of the Catwoman that I love. Um, so yeah, that, like that, that's the thing that kind of holds it back. But tonally, this movie's still incredible. I forgot to mention it in the Batman 89 section, the Danny Elfman Batman score is one of the greatest scores of all time. Um, like It's brilliant, maybe once again, because it is the score used in the, uh, it's the theme song for the Batman 9, for the animated series. So I've heard it a billion times, so it, it fills me with a wave of nostalgia every time I hear it. Um so I di- I did really, really enjoy that. Um Uh Yeah, so like I think the movie's good um uh, not not I don't think it's great. Like I don't think I don't think it's great. I think I gave it three and a half stars. Uh so I don't think it's great, but I do think it's really, really solid. I think I, was, I think it's a really, really enjoyable little movie. Um little movie. It's a pretty big large scale film. <laughs> when when um Penguin takes control of the Batmobile, and he's, like, in, like, a dime car car machine or whatever. One of those rocking horses that you go to with, like, the... at, like, walk. <laughs> I love that. I, lo- I love that. Like, there's so many things in this movie that are quintessential Batman to me. I just didn't love some of the characterization of the characters. Um... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of my take on Batman Returns. It's good. It's not as good as the original. Um... But it but it is good. It's a, it's it's still a lot of fun. It's absolutely worth watching. And tonally, it's more of a Tim Burton movie than a Batman movie. So maybe if I was in more of a Tim Burton mood, I'd be higher on it. Um, yeah. But that's that's yeah. That's my take on Batman nineteen Batman Returns. It's really good. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. That's 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 the review. Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, let's jump into let's jump into the next movie. Okay, bringing to close the little the little like triple feature that I did. I I went to the theaters and I watched The Flash. And I think it's good. Um just barely. Like just ba- like the, um uh, I don't know. I have no idea what I think about this movie. I think or I do know what I think. I think Ezra Miller is great as Barry Allen. Ezra Miller's is a fantastic performer, and I think they're a really, I think they're really, really good in this movie, um, in both roles that they get to play. Um, I think they're, I think they are very, very good at what they do. For all of their controversy, um, which I'm like, like, I'm gonna separate the art from the artist here. I'm not even gonna like. Ezra Miller has done some things that they need to answer for, and they need there needs to be some some retribution either retribution or reconciliation or whatever there needs to be. I hope that gets done. I hope they're getting all the help they need. That's all I'm going to say on the Ezra Miller situation. Um I think Ezra Miller's really good. I think uh I think I think the way I think the plot they give is is good enough and it and it gives some good emotional beats. There's a couple really really nice emotional beats. I can't remember because cause I'll be honest, the third act of this movie really, really overshadows everything else. And the third act of this movie is one of the worst third acts I've ever seen. So I think I cried. I think I cried a couple times in this movie. But but all I've thought about since I saw it is the third act. And how awful the third... Every time I think about this movie, I think about how awful the third act is. Um. So yeah, I don't... I think... like. Maybe I need to see it again to see if I can divorce some of that, some of my thoughts on the third act with the rest of the movie. Maybe I need to do that, because um, there is a really really nice heart to it. There's a really really nice emotional element to it. Ezra Miller does a lot to carry that, um, and I I think that I think that part of the movie is great. Um, also, there's just some cool flash stuff in here. There's just some cool like. There's some cool ideas, some cool action sequences. Um, the opening of the movie is very is something I've wanted to see from a DC Universe in live action forever. Um, I love that. Um, but there's also the other big elephant in the room, which is the CGI. This is some of the worst C- I cannot believe. They allowed this CGI to be released. It's actually genuinely horrible. The open there's the the uh the opening in the movie I really really enjoyed because of that connection to the larger DC universe. But the actual action sequence in the opening is Looney Tunes crap. It's Looney Tunes crap. It's 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 just cartoon. It's just very cartoony and very childish and really it's very dumb. Um and but but I don't know if that's the conceit of the scene, if that's, like, just what the scene is, is my problem, or if the fact that the CGI is just awful in the sequence. I don't know if that's my problem. And that's, that's kind of hard to deal with. Um, so it's a movie that's hard to talk about, because, like, I think there's a good movie in there somewhere, but it's just buried under some awful CGI in one of the worst third acts of all time. Um... Anyway, I'm getting ahead of i I'm getting ahead of myself. The kind of the opening that's set in the DCEU that kind of features Yeah, Batman's in the trailer, Ben Affleck is in the trailer, um, is really, really good and really, really fun. Um Tonally it's a little bit weird. Um, but it is really, really good and really, really fun. And I really, really liked it. I just said really, really like four times. Wow. Um So I really really like I really liked that. And then once you get actually into the plot, then you get then you get you know Michael Keaton is in the trailer and Michael Keaton is really fun in this movie. Um, he's not necessarily the same Batman as Batman 89 nest like like there's some there's some stuff in there that's like there's some differences, I think. Um, but but he, but like the suit is still I still really like the suit. Um, and I really like what they do with him, although there's some weird there's some weird characterization stuff that you just kind of have to accept. Um, and then you get Sasha Kaye as Supergirl, who's amazing. Um, um, just Sasha Kaye as Supergirl is brilliant in the film. Um, she's great. I would love like she doesn't get a lot to do, but she does a lot to elevate what she does get. And like, I highly doubt that she will be the supergirl for the DCU. She I highly doubt she's going to be James Gunn's supergirl, but I would be totally down if she, if they decided she was going to be James Gunn's supergirl, I would be totally down for that. She's great. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. It's there's a lot of good in the film, but awful CGI one of the worst third acts of all time and then and the, the this last thing is not necessarily the movie's fault but because of what the movie is it's the final movie in the DCEU it's the la- it's probably the last time we're going to see Ben Affleck as Batman probably the last time we're going to see Ezra Miller as the Flash probably the last time we're going to see Ben Affleck as Batman not Ben Affleck probably the last time we're going to see Michael Keaton as Batman Probably the last time we're gonna be Sasha Kaye is Supergirl, and none of that is satisfying. No, I found none of that to be satisfying. Um, like like Ben Affleck's final line is is okay, but none of it felt like a send off. None of it felt like a conclusion. Um, which I don't know how you do that. Like I don't know how you do that, but I but but it doesn't stop me from wishing they had done something. That felt more conclusive. Um, yeah, and the, and then like the ending. If 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 what I think the implication of the ending is is what the implication of the ending is. If I'm right, then it's the ending is actually kind of laughable. The ending is actually kind of hilarious. Um, and I'm not gonna spoil it here, but the ending is actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, and 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 like if if the the ending is hilarious and it is the end of the DCU and the way it ends the DCU is kind of genuinely really disrespect disrespectful in a really really funny way. Um, as someone who is not like the biggest fan of the Snyderverse, I think Man of Steel is okay. I think Batman v Superman: The Director's Cut is really good. Um, obviously, Suicide Squad is bad. Um, Justice, Justice League both versions of Justice League just, Justice League is awful Justice League is miserable Zack Snyder's Justice League is okay I have some problems with it Um, there's there's just a couple very like there's some glaring script problems with that movie for me um, so I'm not like the biggest fan of the Snyderverse so I don't have a lot of investment but if I'm right about what the ending of this movie is it is downright disrespectful what this thing does to the Snyderverse, um, and I, I really, really liked that. Uh, I, I don't know if I like that, but it's it's a thing. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my take on the Flash. It's the third act is so laughably bad, and without spoiling it, it's laughably bad, and it's like with the writer strike and all the conversations around AI and all the conversations around art and likeness and all of that. The, the third act is like both laughably bad and awful and anticlimactic, but also genuinely kind of unethical and really, really frustrating. It, it takes a movie that could probably have been really good and makes it incredibly frustrating and leaves you on that note of incredible frustration. Um, so that that's where the kind of majority of my problems come from with this movie. I think... I think I think I think I think the movie just looks kind of terrible, so I was kind of detached from it the whole time, um, and that's why I say maybe I need to rewatch it and just kind of accept it on its own terms a little bit more. Um, and it's weird going from Tim Burton, specifically Batman Returns. It's weird going from Tim Burton to a movie that feels like Studio the Movie. Um, it, that's that's very strange. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think I recommend it. I like I didn't love it. I didn't think it was very good. Um, but a lot of people are loving it. James Gunn loves it. Tom Cruise loves it. Stephen King loves it. So maybe you'll have a great time with it. Go see it. Um, yeah, that's kind of my take on The Flash. That is my take on the end of the DCEU. Um, I'm still pretty excited for whatever James Gunn's going to do. He's testing. He's test screen. Not test screening. Screen testing. Actors for Superman and Lois uh, Lane, I believe this week. Um, so we should be, we probably will get some news about that in the next couple months. It'll probably be Comic Con actually. Um, but yeah, that's I don't know. That's my take on the Flash. It's bad, but it's not bad. I don't know. It's it's it represents something, but the movie is better than the thing it represents, and I think it represents something awful. But the movie itself is fine. It's very mid. I hate the word mid, but this movie's is kind of the definition of mid. Um, yeah, that's, that's my take on The Flash. We have two more movies to talk about. There are also new releases, so this this should be fun. Let's go jump into it. Alright, the eighth film that I watched this week is a film called Polite Society. Um, this is another one that premiered at Sundance, so I, like, I was I was kind of familiar with it. It's just one that, like, I, I didn't know enough about it to get tickets. It's, as, film festivals are one of those things where, uh, and I'm, I, like, I honestly don't know if I could have gotten tickets to this. It might have been sold out by the time I was looking. Um, but film festivals are one of those things where you know very little about a film, where you know very little about the film going in. Um, and it's sometimes... Because they're so much smaller, it can be hard to even research um, to find a film you're interested in, um, and also like just being—you have to be in the right mood for the indie sensibility—and just yeah, it was not. I don't know that I was in the right mood for the indie sensibility that week. <laughs> um, not the point. Polite Society is a film about a Pakistani, uh, two Pakistani sisters who live in Britain. One of them is an artist and one of them wants to be a stunt woman. One of them wants to be an artist. She she's a art school dropout. And one and the other wants to be a stuntwoman. Um and it has I talk I talked about Rylane. Wait, it has a very similar sense of humor to Rylane, um, but with martial arts. With martial arts. Um And I thought I thought it was pretty great. I th- I thought this movie was actually really, really great. It has like because it starts with this very cool, like, this very interesting vibe of, like, trying to think of a movie that it, that it connects to, but this very, like, because the art school dropout sister, who's the older one, um, is is thinking about getting married. She's she's dating this guy, uh, she's thinking about getting married, and it's like a semi-arranged marriage, not really. It's a little bit, uh, as someone who hasn't read Jane Austen, it, it it's a little bit Jane Austen, um, I haven't read Jane Austen. It may not be Jane Austen at all, but I've seen somebody else compare it to Jane Austen, so I feel like that's a fair comparison. Um, so I'm, so it's a little bit Jane Austen, and then there's several twists and turns, and the movie kind of shifts tonally in a lot of different ways, and I, I because I knew so little about what was coming, kind of going in, um, I got to just kind of go on the ride of what those total shifts were and what those shifts were. And, like, it's one of those things where, like, I don't even know if it fully works. Like, I don't know if it works. I think it works, and the action is great. The martial arts, there's martial arts in it, is is all really nice, and it's really, really funny, and the performance by the lead, the woman sister, is really, really great, and there's a really, really great kind of emotional heart and core to the film that that really really works. Um, I've said really really like 50,000 times in this episode. Um and I'm probably going to say 50,000 more times. Uh but I th- I thought I thought that aspect of the film really worked. Um all the performances are great, the action is great. It's got the villain, the the, the villain from Miss Marvel, the leader of the clandestine is in it and she's wonderful. Miss Marvel still my favorite. My favorite Marvel TV show is Miss Marvel. Speaking of, Secret Invasion premieres this week. <laughs> I keep forgetting Secret Invasion premieres this week. Honestly, um, but I'm I'm very interested to check it out. Very interested to check it out. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. My I maybe I'm even burnt out on the MCU after Guardians. I'm kind of just I don't know. I'm not excited. Uh, but like I do think Secret Invasion is gonna be good. Um, but. Polite Society. I also loved the way the movie's, like, broken up into chapters. Uh, Like, I just love it when movies do that, and each chapter has, like, a name. I love it when movies do that. The action is fun, um, and it's just really, really funny. It's just really, really, it's just another really, really funny movie. There's not even, like, that much to say about it, because I knew so I knew so little going in that, kind of, just the journey, it's not the best movie of the year. It's not the deepest movie of the year, but the journey of, like, going on that ride was so much fun that I I highly recommend it, especially if you go in completely blind. Um, Polite society. It's really, really good. Um, Although I do think there's some thematic interest there. There's some some thematic stuff about, like, the role of motherhood and the, the kind of privilege of being a gen z and the being gen z in the 21st century there's some interesting thematic stuff there um but but once again it's not like the deepest movie of all time um it's just it's just there's enough there's just enough that like i can see why this got in at sundance um and the style is really nice and the humor is really nice and the fights they're not the best but they are fun they are fun um yeah, I don't know. It's it's really good. It's like a slightly better version, or it's a much better version. It's the good version of, like, Disney Channel spy movies, basically. Um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I think you should check it out. Um, especially if you like British humor. It's really good. Um, yeah, we got two more to talk about. I lied. This next one's not a new release. This next one is from 1972, but I'm very excited to talk about it, so let's go ahead and jump over to that. Okay, so the ninth movie to talk about this week, I did not plan on watching. Uh, I basically what happened um, is I was I'm I'm you know I'm a I'm a dabbling screenwriter occasionally. I haven't written I hadn't written in like a year and a half, but I'm outlining something right now. And the thing I was outlining, I hadn't seen the movie I'm about to talk about, but the thing I was outlining sounded a little bit like what I thought this movie was about. And to some extent that's true. To some extent that's true. But I think this movie wears its influences on its sleeve so much that, like, yes, but, like, I would just be joining the chain of homage if I were to get this movie made. Um, that is Assault on Precinct 13 from 1972, directed by John Carpenter. Um... The only other Carpenter I've seen, this is sacrilege, I probably need to watch The Thing at some point, but the only other Carpenter I've seen is Halloween 1978, which I don't love. I think it's a little bit, I don't, maybe I need to rewatch it, I think I definitely need to rewatch it after watching Precinct 13, um, but, but I didn't, I just didn't really feel the tension in Halloween, I need to rewatch it probably, um. But I, yeah I, I didn't I didn't it didn't feel to me like Halloween had aged particularly well, so I was so I was like man yeah you know Car- Carpenter's good Carpenter's good, you know what Carpenter is gr- Carpenter John Carpenter is a master of tension. The first like thirty forty the first like thirty minutes of this movie is a masterclass in build up and tension. There's a scene involving an ice cream truck. That all of the lead up is you're just watching because it introduces all of these like sporadic pieces and spends the first 30 minutes moving those pieces into place. And the way you watch those pieces kind of come together around this ice cream truck is insane to me. Like I like it, like literally, there's a moment that happened and it like there's there's a couple moments. There's one that made me go, holy shit, that, that's like an actual like, oh, wow, holy shit. Then there's a moment in, um... Then there's a moment before that that's just, that's just those pieces coming together, and I was like, holy shit, this is tense. It's great. It, it like, it's amazing. Um... Just the tension is so good. And... Like, like, it, it... The way the movie characterizes the villains, because basically the plot is... This cop, this rookie—I guess he's a rookie cop—comes in and has to like basically watch over this precinct while this, while watch over this like abandoned precinct because they're trying to shut the precinct down and ferry stuff to the new precinct. Uh, so this guy comes in to just basically watch the precinct overnight, and then the thing happens, and all of a sudden this mix, this interracial gang is atta- is attacking the precinct. Um, and the first 30 minutes is, because it opens with, like, police, uh, killing a bunch of unarmed, like, members of this gang, but, like, massacring them. So it's a movie that kind of inherently has this sense of characterization built into it. Um, uh, like, the characterization of the villains is revenge, is vengeance. Um, and then, uh, from there you have the scene with the ice cream truck and that leads to another character who wants vengeance so then he does a thing and that me and then it kind of backfires and so they all all of those characters end up in this precinct batting down the hatches and get ready for a fight you know and I think the thing I think the thing that in the first 30 minutes the tension is so good and the way it kind of moves all of these characters into place and builds up to the fun. And then from there I think the ma- I think the thing that makes this movie so special is the way Carpenter chooses to characterize the gang. They have motivation obviously. Their motivation is obviously revenge, but they're not treated like people. They're treated like this unstoppable force. I saw, like, I was I was thinking of the comparison as, I've wa- as I was watching, and then I saw another, and then I saw a Letterboxd review that was like, this is the greatest zombie movie ever made. And that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It feels like this not, this unstoppable wave of, um, monsters, almost. Cause, like, that, like, the movie never, like, gives a supernatural element to the gang, but, like, after the opening shootout, there's like they, they've killed a couple of them and they're like laying and they're in the street. And then a character looks out the window and the bodies are gone. Like, so it just it does just enough to like give you like an almost supernatural sense of tone. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. It does just enough to give you this almost supernatural sense of tension. Um, that it may that it makes the threat feel bigger than it is. It makes the stakes feel higher than they actually are, and I loved that. I absolutely loved that. Um, I would assume Carpenter did the score for this movie. I, I I haven't checked, but I would assume Carpenter did the score for this movie. And it's another great score from John Carpenter. Um, like it's great. All of the performances are great. Um, I don't remember her name, but the there's a there's a secretary there's a police secretary in the movie who is one of the most badass female characters i've seen in movies in a minute like she's awesome um loved her uh yeah I, dude i i was actually genuinely shocked at how much i loved this movie at how much at how well the tension worked and how well how high the stakes felt. Because there is that moment near the ice cream truck. I'm skirting around the ice cream truck a lot. Basically, <laughs> um, the ice cream is like in the gang's territory. The ice cream truck is in the gang's territory. and It doesn't explain this, but I assume that because somebody was making money in their care- territory, they wanted a cut. Um, so the gang comes up and kills the ice cream guy. But that, this guy and his daughter are driving, and the daughter is like, hey, let me go get an ice cream and so she does she asks for ice cream um and she gets it and she leaves and then she's like wait and she leaves and then the gang members come up and kill the ice cream truck driver and then she comes and then she's like wait this is the wrong flavor so she goes back to the ice cream it's like hey you gave me the wrong flavor and the guy literally just pulls a gun out and it's insane, dude. That entire sequence was so tense and so well executed; it was kind of unbelievable. I was actually, I was genuinely shocked at how much. Like, I was expecting to like it because it's a ninety-minute action thriller, but I was shocked at how much I loved Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Um, just, just actually incredible, and the, 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 the weird genre tonal balance that it strikes makes it memorable cuz yeah it's a thriller but there it's 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 got like western elements it's got like horror elements it's got like zombie l el- not really zombie in the characterization obviously there's not zombies nobody's getting eaten but like the characterization of the uh, of this unstoppable force coming in waves is so good and it does such a good job with tension of like the precinct is abandoned. So there's no one around, no one to hear the gunshots, and like people draw and the phone lines get cut and people drive by occasionally and miss it completely. Oh, it's so good. Assault on Precinct 13 is like outrageously good. I was shocked. And it and it does such a great job at balancing the fun with the fun, the tension and and, like, a little bit of thematics. It opens with this sh- big piece of police brutality. And just the stage that that sets for L.A. in the 70s is fascinating. Yeah, I, I was shocked at how much I love this movie. Assaults on Precinct 13. If you haven't seen it before, go check it out. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and I should probably rewatch Halloween and definitely need to watch the thing. Um, It's great. It, Assaults on Precinct 13 is amazing. Go check it out. We got one more movie to talk about, and this one actually is a new release, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to jump into it. Let's uh, let's do this. Final movie to talk about here is Extraction 2, uh, starring Chris Hemsworth, directed by Sam Hargrave. Um, for reference with the first Extraction, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, I thought there was just enough emotional... Kind of, I thought there was just enough heart, and the action is obviously amazing because that's what Sam Hargraves kind of does. He was a stuntman for like 20 years, and now he's directing action movies that let stunt people do stunt things. Um, so I thought the first Extraction was good, um, not great, like not great. There's some script problems, but it's like the action is great, and there's a really really cool oneer that's like 11 minutes. That's really fun. Um, as for Extraction Two, I think there's a give and take with this movie. I think on a plot level, it's not as good as the first one. I think it's. I think it's just really, really clunky. The first movie is set in one city, and Chris Hemsworth has to get this kid from point A to point B in the city. And this movie does the point A to point B in the first, like, 30 minutes, and then. Has And then does another thing. And then that thing ends. And then we do another thing. So I think it's just. I think it's just really really clunky. And. With the first one. The, act, the action slows down. But there's a constant sense of threat. Even when the action slows down. Because they're in the same city. They're in the same place. The bad guys and the good guys are all in the same place. Whereas with this movie. That th- that thrust didn't feel like it was there, and it felt like it would move. It would set the pieces up for twenty minutes, do twenty minutes of action, set pieces up, twenty minutes of action, set pieces up, twenty minutes of action, and I, I don't know. It it just I, that that twenty minutes of setup just lost me all three times. Um, like it's fine. There's there's still some good emotional moments, and there's a relationship with one of the. Not a relationship, but there's a dynamic between Chris Hemsworth character Chris Hemsworth character. Chris Hemsworth's character and one of his charges, one of his one of the people he's trying to extract. And I thought that dynamic was really interesting. Um and the kind of push and pull of whether or not that character what that character's decision was going to be and what that character's kind of final final ending place was going to be. And I thought that was interesting. I just the dialogue is so bad. the dialogue in this movie is just not very good that it was it was it was not fun to watch in the way that the action in this movie was incredibly fun to watch. There is a twenty one minute wonner. It's not like it's not really a wonner because i'm I'm sure there are cuts. there have to be cuts. There, cause it's that even that oneer is split into like three distinct set pieces, that and it's that oneer is one of the best things I've seen in a movie. Like I don't think it comes, I don't think it's as good as the as the top down fight and John in John Wick four, um or the fight on the roundabout in John Wick four. I don't think it's as good as those two, but like it is one of the best action sequences I've seen in a long time. Um and and there's 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 a lot of those types of sequences in the movie that are very awesome and very exciting, um, and they just do insane things with stunts in this movie that that I could watch for hours. Um, I just wish it. I just wish it never stopped. But it it genuinely does feel like it's it set up twenty minutes. Fight twenty minutes, set up twenty minutes, fight twenty minutes, set up twenty minutes, and I just I I never really dug that. I did it, it, it messed with the kind of enjoyment of the film. I still liked it. I still gave it three and a half stars because the action is incredible. Chris Hemsworth is great in the film, um, and it, and it's just there. There's a lot of fun. There's a there's a fight scene in a gym, that's great. That I was like oh. There's a certain thing that happens in that fight that's like, oh, yo. Yeah, it's really great. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I will say these Netflix action movies all kind of feel the same. Like they all kind of feel like dudes in camouflage and bulletproof running around shooting people. I go I go back to like Triple Frontier. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about that movie other than the fact that everyone in it looks exactly like Chris Hemsworth does in this movie like they all just even like a movie I loved like Old Guard still has that problem of like all of these Netflix action movies feel exactly the same. Or like The Five Bloods by Spike Lee is another movie that that has not quite as much, but there's a lot of that feeling in the film. And it's, and it's just still not very interesting to me. But I think Extraction 2 is probably the best version of that. Maybe Extraction 1 is, because I think I like the first one better. But, um... The, the Extraction movies, and Defy Bloods is also really good, are probably the best version of that, I thought. Um... Yeah, I think this movie's great. It's a really, really... You should watch it for that one alone. You should watch it for the prison break sequence alone. Um, and and then there's, there's other stuff in the movie that is just as good. Um, this movie... The, like, I didn't love it, but you should absolutely see it. Because it's, it's, it's an amazing technical achievement. Um, why did I not see it in a theater? Why did Netflix not put this movie in theaters? That, uh, Netflix is stupid... Netflix is dumb. You know what movie didn't feel like you know what movie didn't feel like a Netflix action movie? The Gray Man. I actually really like The Gray Man. Um but yeah, I like The Gray Man's not Don't get me wrong, The Gray Man's bad, but I really enjoyed it. I love Chris Hemsworth. Chris Evans in that movie. But Extraction 2. Uh you should go check it out. It's really fun. I'm I'm really mad that I didn't get to see it in a theater. Um Netflix put your movies in theaters, they will be more successful. Um yeah, that's my take on extraction 2. Go check it out and let me know what you thought down below. And with that, we have made it through the end of another week, the longest week of the year so far. 10 movies. Hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah, let's go jump into the outro and talk through this. Yeah. Let's 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 bring it home. Let's land the shit. I'm sorry. I'm kind of loopy. There you have it. Ten movies. I have no idea how long this episode is going to cut together. Um, but I'm kind of okay with it. Like, it's not, it's not like, it's not like it was where I was, where it was, where episodes were an hour and a half, but I was only talking about movies for like 30 minutes, and then the rest of it was TV or, you know, whatever. This, this one is genuinely just talking about movies the entire time, and I kind of love that. Um yeah so that's that's my take on movies for the week. Feel free to comment jump down in the comments below. Let me know what your thoughts are on all the things that I talked about. um As for this week, I'm definitely gonna watch elemental i I feel bad like I was gonna see it Friday and a car wreck out Well, I was gonna see it Friday, and then plans came up, so I was like, okay, fine, I'll go see it later and then instead of going to plants, we got in a car wreck, so that was fun <laughs> but yeah so i'm gonna see I'm gonna see elemental tonight um and then I move Friday, so I'm, I think I'm going to watch like Kiki's Delivery Service just because just that, that feels appropriate for the time that I'm in. Um, but yeah, that's my take on movies for the week. Feel free to comment below and let me know what you thought. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe, and we will see you in the next one. Go talk about movies no one else has seen. Bye-bye.